Well, I heard some really good reports from those who preached in my absence, Pastor Josh, Pastor Scott. I am so grateful for the giftings of the Holy Spirit. He's given a number of good preachers and teachers in this church, aren't you? Yes, praise God. <clears throat> also, I was reflecting that uh, today marks my first anniversary of being your interim senior pastor here. I wonder where that time went. It's been so good. I've come to love you all, and we've seen good things ahead, and uh, in the past we're going to see good things ahead. And, and then eventually God's going to send the man of his choice to you, and look out. You're going to make an impact in this, in this community like never before. Well, if you're astute, you picked up the fact that I'll be speaking on words today. This is the last in my series in Proverbs called W. I had picked out a number of topics, made them one word, and then put a W on the front. We talked about a number of them. Today, we're talking about words. And you need to know that words are one of those great things that separate us from the animal kingdom, our language. In fact, language is the mental sophistication by which we put sounds and written symbols together to communicate with each other. And these words have incredible power. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. One of the biggest lies of our elementary school days. They are very, very powerful. So what is a word? A word is a recognizable sound or written symbol that communicates a specific meaning. And these carry a lot of weight. And we go as deep as possible with words, and we can hurt deeply with words. Words can make us laugh. They can make us cry. Words can wound us. They can make us smarter. They can influence others. They can make us feel better. They can make us feel worse. They can make us feel happy. They can make us feel angry. They can win elections. They can lose elections. They can engage us in games like crossword puzzles and words with friends. The power of words. A few years ago, not this church, I came to church feeling really good on a Sunday morning, ready to communicate the Word of God, and somebody comes up to me in the lobby and says, Pastor Al, what's wrong with you? You don't look very good today. Immediately, everything changed inside of me. And so I was nice, stern, and everything, and as soon as she left my presence, I ran to the men's room, looked in the mirror, and said, what did she see that I didn't see today? I thought I was feeling pretty good. The power of words. And so as we look at words today, I pray that you will understand what is at stake. I mean, even in social media, I'm learning some third word, uh, power of words. Everything is changing. I mean, I don't know that much about texting. But I'm told that there are certain protocols in texting that you've got to look out for. For instance, if you have all capitals in your text, you're yelling at somebody. I never knew that. <clears throat> and then if you hear somebody say, well, will you meet me so and so such in place, and you say, okay, I would put K in a capital, and they said, no, no you don't do that. that that's a kind of being standoffish or snobbish. You, you don't do that. So I'm learning a lot about words in social media. For instance, let me give you this little texting thread that happened between Scott and me. We were having some fun after he was coaching me on some of the niceties or problems of, of, of uh, social communication. Me. <clears throat> Can we meet a little while tomorrow about the upcoming sermons? Scott. Okay, I can do it after my appointment. Me, capital K, <laughs> laughed out loud. Scott, don't yell at me, laughed out loud. KK is the right response. Me, chill in capitals. 
So we were kind of putting to practice all these things he said you shouldn't do. But we had some fun with that. But I want you to know words are very powerful. And so I read chapters 10 through 31 for Proverbs, and I extracted every place it talked about words. And I put them together because I wanted to make a, a thorough search of words in Proverbs for the sermon. Now, obviously, I cannot go into all of these words, but I want to apply some of the major things I found out about words in Proverbs, but I think I found the key verse in Proverbs. That's the summary statement of all that can be said about words in the book. It is Proverbs 18 and verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. With the tongue, we can hurt people really badly. With the tongue, we can bless people in an incredible way. And so the big idea of my sermon today is our words have great power in the lives of the people around us. So would you look around you right now, look at your neighbor. You see those people? Your tongue will have great power with them and many, many other people beyond these walls. These are the people that we are trying to bless and not tear down, wherever they are in our networks. And so I want you to think of every person in your network, every person that you come across, I want you to see them either as a demolition zone or a construction site. Because with your tongue, you'll either hurt them in that destruction zone or you will build them up in that building zone. And so today, I want to take you to a number of those places. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4 reinforces the, the, the fact that we ought to be building people up and not tearing them down. Verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, which means for building up. And so every day we get out of bed and we put our feet on that floor, we need to tell ourselves this little piece of flesh right here is going to be used to help people get stronger, and I'm not going to use that tongue all the way from my family to my church to where I work to tear people down. So let me take you to the two sites at which the tongue works. One is the demolition site. The other is the construction site. So let's first visit the negative one, the demolition site. And there in Proverbs, we're going to find that our tongue becomes a wrecking ball into the facility of that destruction zone to take people down and to hurt them. And I want you to see the three wrecking balls in the demolition zone that Proverbs talks about. The first wrecking ball is lying. And lying is huge in Proverbs. It has a few brothers and sisters in terminology. would be deceitful mouth, a false witness, devious lips. So what is lying? Lying is not telling the truth in order to gain some kind of personal advantage or to inflict injury on somebody else. That's what lying is all about. Of all the sins of the tongue, lying, I believe, is the worst. Why? because it represents where you get that. Satan is the father of lies, and every time you lie, you lift him up somehow, even though you don't know it. Lying is terrible. But there's another reason why lying is so bad. It destroys relationships. Because when you lie, 
you erode trust. And if you don't have trust, you don't have the glue that holds relationships together. Over the years, I have found that married couples kind of tell little white lies to really big lies because they're afraid if they tell the truth, it's going to hurt the marriage. And so they lie about many, many things. And I've had countless marriage uh, counseling sessions in my ministry. And often it'll go like this, well, I've told the whole truth. There's nothing else that I can say. I put it all on the table. And so we continue to talk. And all of a sudden, yeah, well, there was that one time. Oh, yeah, yeah. And more and more comes out that they should have told the first time. And I've often told married couples, in my opinion, sometimes it is far worse to tell a half-truth than a full lie because you never know where the truth is coming if you can't trust a person, even when they say, I've told it all. I've t-, and more comes. And so I cannot stress enough that lying ruins the fabric of relationships because trust is the fundamental glue and so important to tell the truth. In fact, Proverbs 12, 22 says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. And Proverbs 19, 5 says, a liar will not go unpunished and he who breathes out lies will not escape. He's going to run into his own web. But there's a second wrecking ball that I want you to see, not just lying. At this demolition site is gossip, gossip. And this is huge in Proverbs, and along with gossip comes a cluster of words. They are whisperer, tale-bearer, slanderer. How many know that people love gossip? It's just a juicy thing. It's really hard to resist gossip. The tabloids know that. And the tabloids, tabloids are nothing but gossip. And it happens in a lot of churches. Gossip. Now, gossip is private talk about someone else that damages the image of that person. And understand, Gossip can be true or false. The gossiper doesn't care whether it's true or false. He just knows that whether it's true or false, if he uses it the right way, he can hurt somebody. Gossip thrives, though, in secrecy, and it gives the gossiper a sense of power. Furthermore, you'll always know it's gossip if the information is shared about somebody else when they aren't there. And if it is negative in tone, you know the person is in to gossip. And gossip is an intentional wrecking ball. Proverbs says that he knows what he's doing, the gossip. And he's out there damaging relationships and reputations and sometimes causing dissension. By the way, slander is the worst form of gossip. Slander is an intentional lie told for the express purpose of hurting or defaming someone and causing others who know them to pull away from them. And Proverbs is clear, no matter what kind of gossip, we as believers are not to listen to gossip ever ever. And so if someone comes to you, whether it be in the office or here in this church, and they want to tell you some juicy secrets, you need to stop them right where they are. You need to say something like this. I don't think those words are appropriate for my ears. Or, hold the phone, time out. We're going to get the person you're talking about right into this conversation. We're going to call them, or I'm going to bring them right here. Do you think they're going to continue to gossip? 
No, they won't. You have got to have backbone with a gossip and shut them down. And Proverbs 20, 19 goes so far to say, if you are around a gossip, do not associate with a gossip. Why? Because a gossip is a conniving coward that injures people, and the Bible tells us not to participate in that destruction zone. Now, there's an interesting twist to gossip today that I want you to understand. This twist is almost accepted by a lot of people, but it is really wrong. It is called triangulation. How many have ever heard of that word? Triangulation. Let me talk to you about what this. It is gossip in a modern form. And I want you to understand what it's all about, so please follow closely, okay? Because I might confuse you at this point. But I promise you, if you can pick this up, you'll understand what I am saying. This is triangulation. When party A has difficulty with party B, so instead of party A going to party B, party A goes to party C to talk about party B. And party B is not there to defend himself when party A and party C talk. Are you with me? No, okay. Well, keep, keep hanging in there. The goal of triangulation is often to play party C against party B or for party C to take some action with party B that party A was not willing to take. Are you following me? I hope so. And so party A goes to party C and party C is put in a very difficult position and party C also begins to form negative thoughts about party B. That is gossip. And so one day in another church where I was pastoring, somebody comes up to me ready to triangulate me, and I had this sense it was going to happen, and I saw party A coming to party C about party B, and they spoke about three sentences when I went time out. I am not into triangulation. Whoa. That was not a good conversation. Some people got angry about that. They wanted to triangulate, and I wouldn't stop. You've got to have backbone with a gossip. Now, there are some exceptions when party C is brought into what party A says about party B, but there aren't many of them. For instance, let me give you an illustration. If party A comes to party C about party B because there's child abuse going on, that is a mandated report when you come to a pastor and talk about that. And you need to go and talk about that. But that's a very rare thing. So you have to understand that most of the time when gossip happens, it is flat out wrong unless it's a mandated report kind of thing. May it not be said that gossip is mentioned among the saints of God in this church. Now there's another wrecking ball. Wrecking ball three is quarreling fighting. And they also have some synonyms in Proverbs, and that is strife and controversy and contention. And quarreling in Proverbs is a settled disposition in a person who is rash and uses harsh words, makes evil accusations, is often angry, and sometimes violent. And conflict will come to every relationship. I understand that. But I'm talking about here that somebody is always quarreling, always picking a fight, 
always stirring up contention somewhere. That's what Proverbs is talking about here. And Proverbs 18.6 says that those who bring that kind of strife are fools and on their own way to ruination. So Proverbs tells us how not to be this kind of wrecking ball. Proverbs says we're to avoid strife by abandoning the quarrel before it even begins. And so let's be honorable in our church and in our homes, the two big arenas of quarreling. If somebody wants to quarrel with somebody, then you can say, okay, if you want to fight with somebody, just leave my presence and fight with yourself and have a good time. But you aren't going to get drawn in to the quarrel. Now, I want to comment on these three wrecking balls that go to a demolition zone to hurt somebody else, these wrecking balls of lying and gossip and quarreling. Most of us have a tendency to go towards one of those three things. And I bet you if you would examine your own heart, you'd figure which one is kind of your weakness. I know what mine is. Mine is quarreling. Now, I don't pick the fight, but if you pick it with me, I'd rather not abandon it. I'd rather get right into it for a while, you know? So I've got to back off of that. You've got to figure out where you're weak and take some precautions. The second thing that I want you to understand is what Proverbs 6 through 16 through 19 says. It says that there are seven things that the Lord hates, seven abominations of the Lord. And guess what? Those three wrecking balls are on that list. The Lord hates lying. The Lord hates gossip. The Lord hates fighting. So we got to be careful not to hurt our Lord. Now, I could continue on with more wrecking balls in relationship in Proverbs, wrecking balls like perverse words, hasty words, excessive words, boasting words, flattering words, but I want to move on to the positive one now. I want to move on to the construction zone, where instead of tearing people down in the demolition zone, you build them up in the construction zone. And that's the place where we want to be today, using our tongue to build people up. So, as we move to the construction zone, I want to give you today five tools that you can use with your tongue to build people up. And so, let's go through them quickly. The first tool we can use is truthful words, that you make a commitment, that you always tell the truth with this tongue, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the consequences. Listen, you can never go wrong when you tell the truth. Truth is eternal. And when you tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you said like liars have to. Always tell the truth even though it might be difficult. Tool number one, you'll build people up. Number two is what I'm calling coaching words. There are certain kinds of things we need to do to help people along, to mentor them, to coach them. And there are four basic words in two different categories. Let me give them to you. Coaching words are reproof and rebuke. And that is used a lot in, in Proverbs. And so, Maybe you're not doing what you ought to be doing, and one of your friends comes along and says, you know what, you can do better than what you just did because you kind of blew it right there. And if you have an ear that's open to that kind of thing, you will be built up. If you close your ears, you will not. 
And so there are times, as difficult as it is, that we have to use the coaching word to reprove and to rebuke, but they're all part of building up. There's a second group of words, instruction and counsel. This isn't so much correcting, this is helping a person learn more, getting down the road of experience so they don't make so many mistakes and so they can be proficient at certain things that are in their lives. And those who will listen to coaching and instruction and counsel are wise, and those who close their ears to that will not be built up. There's a third tool, not just the coaching word, but the encouraging word. And I'm going to give you something right now that I cannot prove, but I think it's true. Probably 90% of the time, this is true. And it's this. Encourage everyone you meet because everyone is having a hard time. Most people aren't going to tell you. You say, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. And yet, many, many, many people are slugging it out someplace. They're discouraged. They're facing a challenge. They're weary of the grind. They're hurting. And we can do so much with our tongue to encourage them. And Proverbs talks about it. The power of a gracious, sweet, gentle, pleasant word versus the power of a stern, unkind, curt, rude, insensitive word. And so Proverbs 16, 24 says, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and healing to the bones. Proverbs 15, 4, a soothing tongue is a tree of life. And I will tell you, when you use your tongue to encourage hurting people, you'll never know really the depths of help that that is. I remember a couple years ago in another church, I was carrying some really heavy burdens, and I just couldn't shake it. And I remember saying, Lord, I just need some encouragement here, and it didn't seem to be coming. And so I went to my office that morning, and I went in there, and on my email was this long, encouraging word from a friend of mine in California that went to college with me. And he said, you know, the Lord spoke to me to send you a word of encouragement today, and I hope it's at the right time. <sighs> Man, it just helped me so much. I got on the phone. I said, David, you'll never know how much what you said to me help me that day. You know, we need to be people of encouragement because life is hard. Can somebody say amen? It is. There's another tool, measured words. And Proverbs is big about when we say what we say and how much we say. We're to ponder our words, it says. We are to think about them, Proverbs says, to measure them and not only measure them, but timing is so important. Proverbs 18, 13 says, if you speak too quickly, you're a fool. Proverbs 15, 23 says, how delightful is a timely word. And words need to be appropriate to the situation. Proverbs 25, 11 says, like apples of gold, in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Do you know where some of the dumbest words are spoken? In times of tragedy and in funeral homes. We've heard some really dumb words. You know, it's okay to be quiet at a time like that and to give a big hug. 
rather than to say, oh, somebody must have really, or somebody in heaven must have loved your child so much they want to make him an angel. That doesn't really help people a whole lot. And so you got to be sure that your words are appropriate. And there's no virtue in many words, says the Proverbs. We're to keep our words to a minimum. Proverbs 17, 27 says, he who restrains his words has knowledge. Proverbs 10, 19 says, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. I think our politicians can learn a little bit from Proverbs and this mount. And there are times we shouldn't say anything. Proverbs 17, 28 says, even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. Now, one thing that can really kill a measured word, though, is when you get angry. And anger sometimes says, I don't give a rip about what I say. I am so mad right now. And they come in and say words that are damaging. They throw caution to the wind. They become abusive and clumsy and hurtful in their words. And so Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. And Proverbs 17.27 says, he who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a person of understanding. We must control our anger, or our anger will control our words, and that's usually a very bad scene. And so I ask you, when you really get angry and you really want to argue, how many of you whisper when you, when you argue with nice, calm, sweet words? I haven't run into that. You yell and scream bad words. And so we've got to be very, very careful with our words. Now, some people measure their words all right, but they don't put their names behind their words, their measured words. And so what happens on Facebook? Have you ever seen it? You see this cryptic message coming out. You know somebody's in the crosshairs, but they're not going to tell you who it is, and everybody's wondering, I wonder who's getting that message. You don't use a medium like that to get a personal message to someone. And then there's that old standby, the anonymous note. There are some really crafted artisans who write notes like that, but guess what? They don't sign their name. And so in 40 years of ministry in my churches, my staff knows that when we get an anonymous note, it never sees the light of day. And the same thing is true about First Baptist Church here. They are intercepted, and one thing I found out that I really like, they are shredded here. I think that's kind of cool. If you want to get a message out to somebody, stand by your name and measure those words in the power of the Spirit. The last tool for the day is confessional words. Confessional words. I know for a matter of fact as I stand up here today that everybody in this room has hurt somebody else with their tongue at some point in your life. And when you hurt somebody, what do you do? You've got to go to that person and ask for forgiveness. You need to confess your sin, not only to God, but that person and say, I hurt you. Even though you felt you were right, if you did it the wrong way, you hurt somebody. You need to go to that person and ask for forgiveness. And the Word of God says there is healing in 
forgiveness. And when you exchange forgiveness like that, then God can work. And that's the way churches are built up when we confess our sins to one another. And that's what sucker punches pride when we confess our sins to one another using our words. So important. Well, there's so much more I can say about the power of words in Proverbs, but I hope you got the point. Our words have great power in the lives of the people around us. And with our words, we will either injure somebody or build them up. And so I want to conclude with three statements today as I've talked about words. Number one, our words reveal our character. Our words reveal what's really inside. And so the Word of God talks about Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life, your words. And Jesus put it this way, Matthew 12, 34 through 36, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And I will tell you, the most reliable gauge about your character is to listen to your lips and your mouth and your tongue, and what it says reveals exactly where you are. Second thing that I want you to understand is our words need constant monitoring. We've got to be intentional about what we say. We have to be intentional about what we don't say. But we need to think before we speak because we have to realize that when we speak, we have either brought someone into a demolition zone or a construction zone, and far be it from us and the saints of God that we would bring people into our demolition zone. And so it's so important to measure our words. Third, something you already know is our words are really hard to control. We cannot underestimate the power of James 3 when it says, no man can tame the tongue. It controls us. The only way we can get control of our tongue is if the Holy Spirit controls us. And when that tongue goes to a demolition zone, we know the Holy Spirit is not in control. But when we go to a building up zone, we know the Holy Spirit is, and especially when things are difficult and we build people up and the Spirit has control of our tongues. But I will tell you, it is really, really, really hard to use our tongues in a wise way when we would rather hurt instead of help. Words, do we use them to injure people or build them up? The day came when my daughter, and she gave me permission to say this, my daughter was moving out of her house with her baby, and she got an apartment, and I got kind of melancholy, you know, you're losing your daughter, and by the way, she said I could say this too, she was kind of hard to raise. And so I put on my father's hat as she was moving out, and I said, you know, I wonder, I wonder if she's felt, as I was her father and she was growing up, I wonder if she felt like she was more in a demolition zone with me than in a construction zone. I mean, I tried really hard to be a good father, and I tried really hard to have the right words, but there are times I know my words came out, even good words with bad tone. And I was afraid she saw me more as a policeman than as a loving father. And so I took her to dinner. We talked about a few things. And I said to her, Rachel, how have I done as a father? 
Have I hurt you more than I helped you? And I remember hearing a preacher say one time, for every negative thing you say to somebody, you got to give them five good things to build them up. And I was afraid I had reversed that. Well, we both shed some tears. She said, Dad, you did the best you could. I said, forgive me, but I've hurt you more than helped you. Oh, that is so important in life to realize that even in the home or the church, it has such ramifications. And so Proverbs 12, 18 says that our words are like healing medicine or like a wounding sword. Words affect our emotions, our attitudes, our beliefs, our opinions, our behavior, our relationships. And once we speak a word, it is out of our control. So let's make sure with those words we do good instead of do damage. Would you bow your heads with me, please? I think God's been speaking to hearts today. I think all of us, including me, recognize some shortcomings with our tongues. And some of you, though, may need to take some special action. The Spirit of God has spoken to you, and you need to make a mid-course correction. You realize that you have hurt people. You realize that you need to ask forgiveness even in this church. You realize that you've injured some people. Maybe you have a foul mouth. Maybe you're a gossip. Maybe you can't let go things that have hurt you and you need to forgive. Maybe you're a quarreler and a fighter. Maybe you lie. Maybe you say things before you think. And today you felt the tugging of the Holy Spirit. And He's giving you some courage right now to do something about that. And you want to respond. You want to change some things. You want to approach someone and make things right. And so I'm asking you as we sing this last song to come forward. Come at any time. This is an altar of prayer, an altar of confession, an altar of decisions, an altar of encouragement. And so I invite you to do business with God. And then I will pray for you when the song is over. As God has spoken to you, please respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Would you stand now and let the Spirit of God sweep across us in this congregation today. You come as He has spoken. Thank you.